Um, before I actually get into the message today, I wanted to do two things. I wanted to bring up two people who have served our church family for a while, and they've done it in a fashion of teaching our littles, training up with children, and they've been faithful. They've been faithful because of what God's done in their lives, and then they also are faithful in how they want to give back to him. So um, if Ruth Rowe would come forward, and Miss Irene, she's here somewhere, I think. Yeah, there they are. So this is a token of what you guys were able to give back. We want to give back to you and say thank you. Um, those are kind of nice flowers, eh? But, but, but what God has done in their lives, they're just giving back. They're showing, right? And that's what we're called to do. They're putting their faith into action. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So we want to say, well done, good and faithful servants. Let's pray for you. Father God, we know that you're not done with these two servants. We know that you're going to do a wonderful thing in them, in and through them, whatever is before. They said yes in the past, and I know they're not going to say no this time. They'll say yes again. So give them the strength, courage, and energy to go ahead and, and uh, to uh, go into your fields and to show the love of Jesus with those that they come across. And we pray this in your son. Amen. Thank you. All right. So my name's Scott Eberderis. I'm one of the elders here. Um, I uh, this, this message has been on my heart for a while. So, man, I hope I make it. <laughs> so it's been on my heart, really. I mean, about two years ago, a little over two years ago, when Alan had said, hey, I'm going to retire. And, of course, I wasn't an elder. At, I was an elder at that time, and the other guys were with me, and we were like, whoa, wow, wait, what? We were kind of overwhelmed. And, um, and it's like now it falls on us to steer the ship, in a sense, and to lead this church family to shepherd. I mean, we were it, right? We were supposed to do that. and. Um, Guys, I'll tell you, there, there's been many times in the last two years that um, I wrestled. I wrestled with God. And it's like, what now? What are you doing? And I wrestled with his people, you guys, in my mind, in my heart. But then I remembered that faith is bigger than just that. It's about putting that faith into action, trusting him and what he's going to do, right? Because it's not about... Scott's church out there. It's not about any of the elders' church. It's not about Al's church or Adam's church or Stephen's when he comes. It's his church. This is his church. So um, we, we had to lay a lot of things at his feet and say, God, whatever you're going to do, we're okay with that. Reveal it to us. And man, when I look back and see where we're at now, I'm like, wow, you are awesome. I mean, Think about where we came from two years ago when we were like, what do we do? Well, we went, we sought out an interim. And we got Adam and Steph. And man, they blessed the socks off us. I remember when I talked to the elders, when I was looking at him as a candidate to come and do our interim, they were like, dude, if you get Adam, you are going to be blessed. Have we not been blessed? Yeah. God was in that, right? Then we went through the search or the transition and and um, we looked at who we were, 
where we were at and where we wanted to go. And out of that came the three M's, which you've heard about in the past as well. You know, the mission, why are we here? The message is Jesus. It's got to be the focal point, right? The method of how we share Jesus is through discipleship, the come for more, the home groups, the stuff happening downstairs, the stuff happening throughout the weeks. And the motive is, is love. Why do we do all that? We do that because he loved us, right? And then he says, go and love one another. That's why we are here. That's his. That was him. You know, he used an individual to say, this is the three M's, but it's his message. Then, a week ago, we have a vote to bring a candidate here. Almost a unanimous decision. You don't think God was in that? Yeah. God has been in it well, since, since Al retired to where we're at now. And he's going to be in it in the future. He's not done. He's not done because I see people here that have been here in the past, and I see new people that are coming. It tells me he is not done with WCC. He's doing a good thing. Um, so I said I wrestled a lot, right? Well, yeah, I was a wrestler myself. Then I was a wrestling coach, and now I'm a wrestling official. And I wrestled with this scripture because, man, it's, as he said, it's pretty deep. And James himself, I should probably put these on. They ain't doing me any good in my pocket. Because it will get interesting if I don't have mine. James himself, you know, he, he, he concludes in, in, in James 1 that this is what he says. He says, we should not just be hearers of the word, but we should be doers of the word. Right. You know, and, and the text itself that I'm going to go into is James 2, 14 through um, 26. There's some contradictory things in there that are pretty tough. And there's guys that are way more scholar than I am that had struggled with this as well. But what I want you to think about is this phrase here. We work for Christ through our faith in Christ. Okay? Let me say that again. We work for Christ through our faith in Christ. Okay? Just keep that in there for a minute or two. And then, um, I just want you to marinate on that, because it's pretty heavy. Let's pray before we rock in and roll in the, in the scripture here. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your Holy Spirit to be amongst us. Father, as the worship was happening, Father God, I sensed your spirit. You are doing a good thing. It's not about an individual, Father. It's about us following hard after you. You came first. Our being is in you. And out of our being, the good works come out. So, Father, as we listen to your words today, Father God, may we have ears to hear it. You gave us two ears for a reason. And we get only one of these. We got one mouthpiece. Let us hear today. Father God, utilize me as a tool to, to, to speak your word in a manner that would hit home with the individuals that are gathered today. today. And Father God, as we walk out, may we just um, be moved and challenged and, and, uh, and, and draw near to you. So I pray these things in your Son, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, so the book of James, James is Jesus' half-brother, and he's writing to believers who have been scattered among the nations. 
Um, given this, he addresses broader issues of faith that are not locked into a particular culture or not locked into a location or a situation. But one of the issues that James explores in the relationship is the relationship between a Christ follower's beliefs and how those beliefs should shape his or her actions. All right? Um, he's very blunt and he misses, minces no words when it comes to expressing his view that faith without deeds is useless. That's found in t- verse 20. He also draws on some heavy Old Testament examples to support his argument that a believer's life should be active and it should be proactive. So faith is certainly an essential... Um, I, gotta, I guess i got to move that, huh? I already did it. Thanks. I thank you. You're new at this stuff. So <laughs> faith is certainly a, an essential element of the Christian life. Um, without faith, it is possible, it's impossible to please God. It's found in Hebrews 11, 6. And then I want to go to Ephesians 2. Um, this is like a hallmark verse. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We're saved. Not, not by works, right? It's not by what we can do. Because if we, if we do all these good things, we're going to walk around like a turkey and be boasting and say, look at me, man, right? But it's not by our works. It's by what he's done. Grace through faith. So again, the being has been him. It starts with him. All right? Um, the, the next one is the Christian is to walk or to live by faith. It's found in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. It's important to realize, however, that there are different kinds of faith, but only one that is truly a saving faith. So let's go to James 2.14. James 2.14 says we find um, him discussing different kinds of faith with emphasis on a faith that with, which works to the saving of the soul. And it, and it happens through the transforming of our mind. It, has, it happens through the transforming of our, our heart. And it happens through the transforming of our soul. All right? Let's go to the word. Read faith and deeds. James 2.14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? I want you to sit there for a second. Just marinate on that verse. Can such faith save him? And I think back when um, Pastor Stephen gave his message a couple weeks ago, um, he talked about um, uh, abiding in him, right? John 15. Abide in me. We can't do anything apart from from the vine. The vine, the true vine, is Jesus. When we try to do it on our own, we're probably going to fail, mess it up, or worse. The branches don't, they can't survive without the actual vine. Right? They can't. So our being comes before doing get that? Our being comes before actually doing. Alright? So, verses 14 to 17, I'll go on. It says, if one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, or excuse me, 15, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? 
In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. I would consider this kind of faith being one of one of a, of a I'll call it a dead faith. I'll call it a dead faith. All right, because if an individual is on the sideline, and it, I mean that example that James gives is really pertinent. If somebody's needing clothes and food, and we just walk by and go, "Dude, I hope you're okay. I hope you get warm. See you later." Is that going to help them? What good is that? Nothing. You know, I'm driving down the road and I see somebody stranded on the side of the road with a flat tire and I go, ah, yeah, I could stop and help, but no, I got to go. I got this to do. What kind of faith is that? We have to be, we should be compelled to act. The being, the being comes before the doing, right? If Jesus is not in me, I'm just going to keep on driving. And I'm going to say, well, I hope you do all right there, dude. Hope hope they're coming to help you. Rather, we should do something about it. We should stop and say, do you have somebody coming? Can I assist you at least, at minimum? Right? Um, This kind of faith substitutes words without works. Right? If there there was no connection to the person's need, we shouldn't, we should have really felt to be compelled to do something, I think. We should meet that need. People with this faith know the correct vocabulary, right? Or, or for prayer, maybe. Or maybe they know sound doctrine. They can even quote the right verses from the Bible. Um, but their walk really doesn't measure up with their talk. You may know a person like that, maybe in your circle, your workplace, or your family, maybe even here at this church. Is that, that kind of faith is an intellectual faith. In one's mind, he or, she, he or she knows the doctrine of salvation, but they never really submitted themselves to God and trusted in Jesus for salvation. They know the right words, but they don't back it up with their works. Right? So putting into action what they know is the missing link. So I'll give you an example of this. You're not out of this today, just so you know, Lisa. So action speaks louder than words, right? We've all heard that before. So if I say, Lisa, I love you, and I don't back it up with anything, what do you think is going to happen? She's probably not going to be very happy with me, for one, right? You know, as I remember when we were dating, oh, I love you. It's all, you know, it's all that stuff. And as we got longer, farther in, you know, that didn't happen as much. But then I was enlightened by a book by Gary Chapman that said it was the five love languages. And I figured out that Lisa's love language was, there's five, one of them was quality time. So if I could speak her love language and her tank was full, man, things between us was like awesome. It was great, right? If I didn't choose to speak that love language to her, what do you think happened in our relationship? It kind of got south. You know, it went the other way, and she'd be like, hey, what about me? You're doing all these other things, but what about me? So, and Alan, Pastor Alan had shared this with me because it's what he does, and he's probably listening, so. You're on, too. So, he said this, Scotty, because we were having some, some difficulties in our relationship, and he's like, dude, this is the deal. 
because he knew that her language was time as well, quality time, spending time with her, you know, making her, you know, a priority. He said time, or love is spelled equals time, T-I-M-E. I was like, what? But then it made sense that I needed to pour my time and energy into her and fill her tank in order to her to say that, not just I love you, but she sees it, right? That's when it hits home. So um, we got to make sure that we are being, we're, you know, the being comes before the doing, that he is in us. I wouldn't have been able to love Lisa the way I love her now if it wasn't for Christ. And actually, we probably wouldn't even be married, to be honest with you, right? It's all because of him. So because of Jesus, my eyes were open to say I needed to love my wife in the way that I was supposed to. He loved the church, right? I needed to love her in the same shape, fashion. And, and um, so praise him on that one. You know, I think that's, that's how it should have been. Um, getting back to scripture on this, that was just an example, but getting back to the scripture of a dead faith, if you just know the right things to say and you don't back it up, I would say that's a dead faith. Can that save? Can that kind of faith save? No, it can't. All right? If we look at verses 17, 20, and 26, it says three times, it's stressed that James is emphasizing that faith without works is dead. Okay? In the same way, verse 17, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Verse 20, you foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. All right? Any declaration of faith that does not result in a changed life and good works is a false declaration. It may be a, what I would consider a dead faith. Dead faith is one that produces no fruit, right? Because I'm not abiding in him, so therefore there's going to be no fruit on the other end. Right? Dead faith may be a counterfeit faith that allows a person into a false sense of confidence of eternal life. Well, you go, what? Think about this for the non-Christian. Somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus, right? They don't have saving grace. And I have an individual in my life who is near and dear to me, um, and he's getting to the end of his days. He doesn't know Jesus. He knows there's a God, but he doesn't know Jesus. And then I have conversations with him about, um, you know, what at the end, what happens at the end? And I shared the gospel with him, and he says, "Well, I hope so. I mean, I hope I'm going to be in heaven because I was a good person and I did good things." Is that saving grace? Will that get him there? No. No. I mean, that's John 14, 6. Jesus says that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And nobody comes through the Father except through me. It doesn't say anywhere in there that because of my good works, I'm going to be with him. It's only because of what he's done. All right? So we may have this kind of faith if our walk does not measure up to our talk. We may have this kind of faith if our works do not measure up to our words. Um, Warren Worsby, one of the books, the commentaries that I was reading, he says this, he says, No man can come to Christ by faith and remain the same any more than he can come into contact with a 220-volt 220 220 wire and remain the same, right? I mean, 
It ain't going to happen. So whoever has the Son has life. This is 1 John 5.12. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Verse 17, if you look at this, it says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. See, we have a skewed thinking in regards to this. We think that doing is our ultimate worship, whereas really our being with Jesus is our ultimate worship. This is what compels us to do those good works. When I'm driving down the road, that's what compels me to stop and say, can I help you? Or like the example that we had, that's what it compels me to say, here's some clothes, here's some food. How else can I help you? Right? It's because of what he's done. We just got to get our mind twisted a little bit and not about ourselves, but what he's doing. Right? The second kind of faith is found in uh, verses 18 through 19. Awesome. I don't even know to put this away. This is great. So, verses 18 through 19. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Right? <clears throat> um Verse uh, 19 talks about that um, you believe that there is one God. Well, that goes back to um, Deuteronomy 6. And um, I can even go there. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 6. This is um, the Jews, right? They had the Shema. And, and their belief in Judaism was based on this foundation here. So it says, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Um, that was a foundation, though, truth for them. Still is today. But what does he say about the next, or verse, or the next, let me find it, 19. He says, even demons believe that. And they shudder? Whoa. So verses 18, 19, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll with this. I'm going to say that this kind of faith could be a demonic faith, right? And perhaps to shock you, James reminds us that the demons have a, a kind of faith. All right? So um, they believe in God. Mark 1, 24. Demons believe in the deity of Christ, Mark 3, 11 through 12. They also believe in the existence of a place of condemnation, Luke 8, 31. They know the Bible, Matthew 4, 6, though they often misquote it and they use it for their deceptive schemes, right? We know they do that. And they believe that Jesus will be the judge, Matthew 8, verses 28 through 29. So what kind of faith do, do demons have? Well, we saw that the man with... Dead faith was touched by his intellect. The demons have faith, and theirs is based on recognition without repentance. All right? Theirs is one step above a dead faith. It involves intellect and basically a disobedience. Um, <clears throat> can, that, can this kind of faith save? 
No. Just because believe, demons believe and they have doctrine, and they may even have the right doctrine, that's not proof of salvation. It's not proof of their salvation. Right? It can't save. I'll give you an example of this. Um, I had my water, and I didn't get it up here, thanks. It's in front of there. I don't know why I didn't bring it, but the example is this. So we had a search committee. Thanks. So we had a search committee. We were seeking a candidate. And um, they received resumes, and they um, had to go over them. And, of course, every candidate put in their, their statement of faith. Of belief, their 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 beliefs on the statement of belief or their faith, right? And um, and he wanted us to agree that hey, I believe what you guys believe. I'm not going to come in here and change anything and do anything that's outside of that. Is that still a, by looking at that still didn't give us a a, a means of salvation, right? It just kind of gave us a little snapshot of them. Faith is more than the correct beliefs themselves. So what do we had to do? We contacted their references, right? We contacted the co-workers or the pastors, the elders. And what we were looking for was, was their fruit. That should be the determining factor. When you, we see fruit, right? Otherwise, we're just back to a dead faith again. Okay? So the demons have salvation. They don't have, a, they have a, excuse me, a doctrine, but they don't have proof of salvation. We know that they, they disobeyed, right? And they shunned God. But why did they shudder? Because <laughs> every time that Jesus confronted them, they knew, they knew exactly who he was, what he was going to do, and where they were going. Right? They trembled. True saving faith involves something more, right? Something that can be seen and recognized. Basically, what I'm looking at is a changed life. Right? A changed life. Being a Christian involves trusting Christ and then living for Christ. You first receive the life, and then you reveal the life. Right? Right. Galatians 2.16 says this, Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Right? Um. Do we have this kind of faith? We do if we believe the right things and feel the right things. We do if our service to God does not go beyond intellectually adhering, adhering to the right doctrines. We do if we recognize our personal sin, yet never repent of it. Right? Now we're putting ourselves right back into what the demons had, that kind of faith. May it never be. May it never be. May we, may we get beyond that. Right. James goes into verses 20 through 26 here, and he's going to close this section by describing the only kind of faith that can save. And I would call this faith um, a dynamic faith. What kind of faith is this? We know from other passages, passages that such faith is based upon the Word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is is heard through the word about Christ. Right? It's heard about the word of Christ. Dynamic faith involves the whole man. Right? Dead faith touches the intellect. Demonic faith involves both the mind and disobedience. Dynamic faith involves the intellect, the emotions, and the will. 
The mind understands the truth. The heart desires and rejoices in the truth. Right? The will acts upon the truth. The will is what acts on the truth. Again, true saving faith then leads to action. Okay? Being comes before doing. Right? It's not an intellectual contemplation. It's not emotionalism. It is that which leads to disobedient or to obedience in doing good works. It's that which leads to obedience in doing good works. All right, to illustrate this, James refers to two well-known persons in the Bible, right? So verse 20, we'll just go through this and I'm going to get through the example. So, you foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the Verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Remember I said in the beginning, I said there could be some contradictory things in here that you may like, be like, whoa, wait, what? What did I say? What did you just hear in those, those few verses? Verse 24 had a little, like, an eye-opener, right? You might be like, wait. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. That sounds totally different than Ephesians 2, doesn't it? All right? We'll get there. All right, so we look at Abraham and Rahab. You could not find two more different people. Abraham was the father of the Jews, right? the fa father of our faith. And Rahab was a, a Gentile. Abraham was a godly man. Rahab was a sinful woman, woman, a harlot, a prostitute. Abraham was the friend of God. Rahab had belonged to the enemies of God. What did they have in common? What did they have in common? They both exercised saving faith in God. Abraham demonstrated his saving faith by his works. We found that in verse 20 to 24. Whereas Rahab demonstrated her saving faith by her works as well. All right? Verse um, 24. We need to go back here a little bit. <clears throat> We go back to Genesis 22, and that's the whole story of Abraham taking his son up on the mount, and he was prepared to give his son as an offering. And even as he's going up, his son's like, hey, where's the ram? You don't have the ram. God is going to provide, he tells him, right? So he builds the, builds the altar, and he puts his son up there, and he's got the knife, and don't do it. You know, the angel comes. And because he, he was putting his faith in God, trusting in God, God spared his son, and then there's a ram stuck in a thicket, and they offer that up as the burnt offering. But that's in Genesis 22. If we go to Genesis 15, again, being comes comes before the doing. 
Genesis 15, where Abraham had made um, the covenant, God made a covenant with Abraham in, in that time, right? He found him as good and holy, and he said, you're going to be the father of this nation. So what came first, him believing or the actual doing, offering his kid up? He believed, right? So was there a contradiction in this, what we read here in verse 24? I don't say so now, I don't, because now I know what happened behind the scenes, right? Verse 26, <clears throat> as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. That perfect faith necessitates works. Works are not a means of salvation, but the result of it. Romans 3.28 talks about that. Right? Romans 3.28. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith, apart from, observe, from observing the law. Grace through faith apart from works. Romans 3.28. Works are not a means of salvation, but the result of it. It's important really for us as professing Christians, Christ followers, that we examine our heart, right? And our life and make sure that they possess true saving faith, which is a dynamic faith. Get no, get no, don't, don't think this is not happening. Satan is the great deceiver, right? He's the one and who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. One of his devices is imitation. If he can convince a person that counterfeit, counterfeit faith is true faith, then he has the person in his power. Here are some questions I want you to think about. Was there a time when I honestly realized I was a sinner and admitted this to myself and to God? Do I truly understand the gospel that Christ died for my sins and then he rose again? Do I understand and confess that I cannot save myself, not by works? Did I sincerely repent of my sins, making the decision to turn from them? Do I now hate sin and fear God, or do I secretly love sin and want to enjoy it? <laughs> yeah. Has there been a change in my life, or do I maintain good works? Do I abide in him? Do I have a desire to share Christ with others, or am, I or am I ashamed of him? To be sure, not every Christian has the same degree of faith. Those who have had more time to grow should be stronger in their faith. But most, for the most part, the spiritual inventory can assist a person in determining his or her true standing before God. So we look at the psalmist in uh, Psalm 139. This is what he says. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Are you living an abundant life today? I mean, John 10.10 10 talks about having an abundant life. Are you living that? Or are you being robbed? Are you being robbed? Um... I'll give you an example. So, 
Um, I was 34 years old, cruising along. I, I have, I know the Lord. I have fire insurance, and um, and I'm invincible at 34. I mean, man, I was off and strong, and just I could I could do anything, but um, something was not right. My my physical health was something was wrong. So midday. I just started getting tired and weak and jittery, and that's weird, so I'd eat and feel better. A few days, more and more, I'd get more and more, right? And then um, I had an incident at night at home. Lisa thought I was possessed because she, I was in a zonk. I was out of it, but she, she was like, you couldn't talk. And I, she didn't know what was going on. So she called 911. They came and they gave me some sugar and got me up on my feet, and like, okay, that was weird, so I'm invincible. I'm going to keep doing what I do. Go to work, go to the firehouse, back the fire truck in one day. Um, I don't feel good, guys. I'm going to go sit in the living room. Next time I woke up, the chiefs were there. I had IV in me. Paramedics were doing what they were doing to me. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? So we had to figure this thing out. I go to some uh, doctors, and they go, yeah, you got this. And I'm like, what? One in 250,000 people get this, and I was the guy. So I had an insulinoma. So what it was, it's a tumor on your pancreas. And that caused the, 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 the pancreas just to dump insulin randomly. So my body, my sugars couldn't stay up. So that's why I would pass out. I go hypoglycemic. So the way to combat that while I'm waiting for surgery is to eat. <laughs> so I ate like every 15 minutes to keep my sugar level up. And before you know it, I'm looking like an oompa loompa. I mean, I put on like 50 pounds. I felt like, what? I was like 185 pounds. I'm like, uh, let's go. And um, so we chose to go to Freighter, which is close to my family and my wife's family at the time when we had our kids at home. Figured that'd be a good place to go. Go there. Pretty confident in what the doc said. He said, this is a pretty serious deal. And, um, you know, we're going to do our, what we can. And I'm like, uh, all right. And uh, I got there and I knew I knew in my heart of hearts that I'd be there for 40 days, and it was crazy. And I went in, they had surgery, I came out, the tumor they tested, it was benign, praise God. Um, but I got pancreatitis, which was something I wouldn't wish on anybody. And um, of course, I couldn't eat because that just inflames the pancreas and it gets worse. So they, they weren't able to feed me. And a good thing I gained weight because I lived on my body for 50, for 40 days and I lost 50 pounds. A couple times in that, I had some things that happened that they didn't think I was going to make it, but here I am. And one of the things that I remember as I was laying there many days is like, God revealed what this was for. There's always a purpose, right? When we go through hard stuff, there's always a purpose. And he said, Scott, I'm going to take you. I'm going to break you, but then I'm going to make you. See, because up to that point, I was living my life. There were things in my closet that I wasn't willing to give up. And Jesus said, no, Scott, I went on the cross for you. I gave myself fully. I emptied myself for you. You're not doing that for me. You need to do that for me. That's where faith really took off in my life, you know. 
and come. I don't look. I have not looked back from that day forward. It's because of what he did, right? He's going to take you and he's going to break you, but then guess what? He's going to make you into whom he wants you to be if you're obedient. And if you, and if you have a faith that is willing to do something, you think, you think that I, being an elder at this church was on my highlight role, you know? Check, yeah. Oh. But I know God put me in this role for a reason, for such a time as this. And I said, yes, use me. Do what you need to do, you know, form me. And I've seen this church family being formed by him. True belief should change our behavior. That's where I want to end it today. True belief should change our behavior. I'm not the guy I was before I went into the hospital. You can talk to her, she'll tell you. And uh, she'll tell you stories about who I was prior to that. You know, that doesn't mean I'm perfect because God's going to continue to, you know, take off the rough or sharp edges. He's going to make them soft on me. He's going to continue to do that. Where are you with that? I just say, I don't want you to have to go through the, the breaking process like I did, but I'm telling you, he may. Are you willing to say, okay, let's do this, God? I'll follow you. Use me, right? All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this morning. Um, I don't even remember what I said, but I'm just trusting that you said something that would be used today. Um, Father, may we walk out the doors today saying, and just really searching our hearts. If we say we're a Christian, a Christ follower, are we fully doing it? Are we fully in? Do we believe what you did on the cross for us? Are we living our life as you did? Do, you have, do we have compassion for people as you did? Do we love people as you love? Do we meet a need as you did? You were the greatest servant of all, Father God. You came to serve, not to be served. Are we doing those things? I pray, Father God, that when we walk out, we would be different. We would be used by you for your glory. And I pray this in your son, Lord Jesus' name. Amen.